Hello again, and thanks for listening today. This is Stepping Into Freedom, the podcast about standing fast in the liberty wherewith we have been made free from Alma 5840 in the Book of Mormon. Today is kind of a cool episode. It's uh, number 64 uh, with Jeffrey C. Olson and Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. Jeff Olson is a best-selling author who writes about his near-death experiences, a car accident in 97, uh, took the life of uh, his wife and youngest son, almost took his life as well, uh, resulted in the loss of um, his leg, had over 18 surgeries uh, to eventually um, heal both physically and emotionally, and now thrives in his career and community contributions. Um, so we'll have him talk more about uh, his other, other things that uh, we'll get to it in the episode later on. But Dr. Jeff... Um, now, you, you, you guys met after uh, Jeff's accident, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I mean, okay. That, the, uh, yeah, we met on the, the night of the accident when I was life led into uh, Dr. Jeff's uh, Level 1 Trauma Center. Cool. So, yeah, so Dr. Jeff um, received his training at Utah, uh, excuse me, University of Utah School of Medicine and completed his residency in Salt Lake City. He is board certified in internal medicine and is a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. So with 25 years of experience as an emergency physician in a level one trauma center, um, professional experience, uh, Dr. Jeff frequently communicated with uh, spirits who hovered between this life and the next. And he saw people leave their bodies at the time of death and he experienced, um, was able to experience uh, you know, eternity with them. So in the emergency department of a major trauma center, you know, uh, Dr. Jeff, you know, MD, frequently communicated with them. And uh, anyways, today's episode is about the mortal condition. Interesting thing, by the way, about uh, spiritual gifts of this nature. Uh, Episode 48 with Bridget Cook-Birch. Check that one out if you have a chance about spiritual gifts. But thanks for being on, both of you, today. It's a pleasure. It's good to be with you, Paul. Yes, thank you for having us. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I, I was thinking of actually today, kind of you know, going over things in my head is, um, you two have a very uh, unique position you're coming from with, like, you, you're, you're through observation and experience. You've both very, seen a very uh, contra- effectively contrasting difference between benefits of not being on our mortal bodies and being in them. <laughs> so, um, my first question is for Dr. Jeff, kind of for our listeners, I'll refer to between the two, Jeff and Dr. Jeff here, but, uh, um, and, and Jeff, feel peaceful free to interject your thoughts as you see fit here. Um, a while ago, you know, we talked about how you've been an eyewitness to, you know, quite a few people having near-death experiences and actually watched many of them, like I mentioned, uh, their bodies in your medical career. And I'm sure seeing things like this has had quite an effect on your perspective about making good use of our time here in mortality because of how fleeting, you know, it is in the eternal timeline. So could you talk about that for a little bit? Yes, I'd be happy to. And... Interestingly, it may have had a paradoxical effect on me because I know I'm supposed to feel like everything is urgent in this life and we have to use our time in the most efficient way. And in fact, I believe that we do need to use our time efficiently. But actually seeing souls leave their bodies after death and communicating 
with them before they left this realm helped me to appreciate all the more that the next life is just a continuation of this one and that this life is simply a continuation of the life we had before we were born. And so I don't feel such an urgency about things. I feel like we need to be effective and efficient. We need to be learning and growing. But I feel like it's one continuum from our pre-Earth existence through this life and into the next. And as long as we're on the right path and moving forward, it's my feeling that we're doing fine. Cool. It reminds me of what Elder uh, Bednar said uh, with, you know, as long as you've done a little bit better today than you did yesterday, that's enough, right? So. Yeah. I, I love that perspective, Dr. Jeff. I, um, you know, I've, I've often um, pondered that myself. Like, what is the meaning of life? Where my, my son passed at 14 months, you know, and my wife passed at 31 years old. It's not very long. And, uh, and yet there is one big um, lesson in that for me, and that is that you don't always get tomorrow. You know, I mean, it's like, boy, make, make the most of today because tomorrow might not be there or it might be much different than we planned. And, and yet, you know, there, there is some real joy and real power in being in the moment, you know, in, in really presencing, okay, I have today. What am I going to do in this sacred day, this gift of today that will make it worthwhile, that will bring joy both to me and other people? And yet there is no rush. I, I love what the doc said. There is no rush. I, you know, our dear friend who uh, walked this earth 2,000 years ago and, and said interesting things like, take no heed for what you'll eat or drink tomorrow. You know, let the dead bury the dead. Uh, be ye therefore perfect. Um, he never said become. It was to be. It was to be in the present moment, to be in that perfection that we are and to literally embrace the perfection and the gift of being in the, 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 the sacred moment of now. I mean, even in the simple things like consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor do they toil. Uh, and yet Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of them. He was, he was literally pointing out the beauty and the perfection in being in the now and having today. And I had a very interesting and wise man once say to me, in fact, he was an, an uncle of mine, Marvin J. Ashton was his name. He said, eternity is nothing more and nothing less than simply always having right now. Yeah, and I would, I would add with that, Jeff, I, I really like those uh, observations and in a world where we're constantly being told we need to do more we need to be more organized we need to be more efficient we need to run faster work harder gain more money <laughs> uh, more stuff in a bigger tough shed is the measure of success in this life um, the message that often comes to us from above and the one that I feel most urgent in my life frequently is we need to slow down you know I, I love that live in the present Sorry, I, I love the, the, the idea that you said that it kind of echoes to me too. The, um, a frequently recurring theme in the book I just finished, Hearing the Voice of the Lord, where he says over and over again that the idea of be still and know that I am God, right? And as, as ironic as this may sound you know, to, to some people out there, I, I get a feeling you know, that the more, and, and I've experienced as well, that the more you, you know, we take time to be holy, uh, I think that's, there's a song that has that in it, 
But um, the more we do that, just myself too, I've noticed that the whole like the the like you said, kind of like what you were saying, the need to the, the the need people feel to rush kind of goes away because you are able to use your time more effectively when you are you know be still and know that I am God kind of thing, right? Yeah, I, I love that. Be still. You know, he didn't say hurry up. <laughs> he said be. Be still and know, trust, mm-hmm. you know, trust and, uh, and watch how it unfolds. Even, even that, watch and pray always. He didn't say hustle and pray always. It was observe, yeah. be still. Yeah, and, and the, whole, yeah, the whole uh, President Nelson thing, time is running out. Okay, time may be running out, but if you really want to make good use of time that is running out, take the time now to connect with him, right? So... Yeah, I mean, in, in, in reality, time doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's just, it's just a construct for us. Yeah, yeah. But in this, in this mortality, in this mortality, yeah, we got to get up in the morning and go to work. And, uh, <laughs> X amount of hours in a day, and, and it, it's making the most of that that, uh, that becomes the challenge. And when I say the most of it, you know, what is the most important thing? What is the priority? And, and that may differ for every individual. But uh, sometimes that smile to a stranger on the street might be the biggest thing you do every day, you know, in any given moment. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Good. Good way to start for that too. Um, so, uh, Jeff, more more from you here. Um, what was one or even a few things? Um, Pick as many as you or, or as few as you want, I guess, that were impressed upon your mind and heart the most during you know your near death experience about the blessing of mortality. Oh well, well that that's that. This may be a little bit of a long answer. I'll I'll, I'll paraphrase things, but I could ramble on for that. Being out of the body, being out of the body, and having that veil gone. There was a real uh, perspective about. Um, about our connection here, the oneness we share, and also the gift that life is for everyone, even if their life doesn't look like mine. Being out of the body, suddenly there was no judgment. There was no comparison. Everyone was glorious. Everyone was perfect. Everyone was part of me, and I was part of them. There was a oneness that was incredible. So the blessing of this mortality... Um, and, and that's an interesting thing because it really is uh, a diverse thing. When I, when I was out of the body, in other words, I got a peek into eternity or into what is not this mortality. It was interesting to see the connection we have, the oneness we have, not only with everything, but with everyone. You know, that they were me and I was them. There was this absolute oneness, even though I was very individual, but there was a, it was like a giant song where everybody had their own note own vibration but it made a perfect chorus and yet when I finally came upon my body and saw the flesh laying there and I'm in spirit looking at my flesh one of the most profound things was the gift that the body is what a gift what a magnificent machine and it kind of turned things upside down for me because I had always you know grown up believing that Oh gosh, you know, the flesh is weak. Yeah, yeah. The body's bad, you know, cover it up, run, hide, be ashamed. <laughs> you know, I and, and, and yet when I was looking at my body and, and, and it was quite broken up 
and and it was a very sorrowful thing to think, wow, that beautiful, beautiful temple of mine, that beautiful, beautiful machine that works perfectly. I don't have to tell the eyes to be eyes. I don't have yeah. to tell the lungs to draw breath. There is literally light and intelligence in every cell that makes up my body. It is not a curse. It is not a bad thing. It is a beautiful, beautiful gift. And in that in that process, I realized that life is that gift. You know, I, I grew up again believing that life was a test, that I was most likely failing, you know, that there was going to be judgment around everything I did. But in this new perspective, I realized that life was not a test. It was an absolute gift. Yeah. Every every moment was sacred, that my body was sacred, that my mind was divine, that my heart was divine, that every part of it was absolutely a gift from the Creator for me to have the perfect experience for my soul in this realm. And when I begin to let go of those judgments and those comparisons and those fears and those, you know, precepts about what was right, wrong, good or bad, and saw it all as light, all as love, and all as a beautiful, beautiful gift from the divine creator, things shifted quite a bit. Yeah, what that makes me think of too is, uh, oh, something my dad had said he mentioned to a couple missionaries where they're at in Colorado, when they're talking about God being our judge, he goes, "Um, actually, the Father doesn't judge us. Remember, Doctrine and Covenants? Christ is the judge, not the Father. He just loves us. <laughs> yep. and, and even then, the time of judgment, you know, final judgment at least, that's a long time down the road even then. So, even, like most of the time, even in that respect, Christ just loves us. Yes. Well, and that was the interesting thing. Being out of the body and seeing these beautiful, beautiful brothers and sisters, and it didn't matter what they had done or what they hadn't done. You know, heroin addicts, to saintly grandmothers, um, judgment goes out the window when there's empathy. Oh, yeah. And to me, the beauty of what this man we call Jesus was, was it was perfect empathy. He experienced the breadth and the depth of the human experience in such a way that there only is love. And it's interesting. I mean, you bring up John where it says, the father judges no man but leaves it to the son. Yeah. But two chapters later, Jesus says, I will judge no man, only in truth. And yet truth, the truth is that we are divine. The truth is that we were created in the image of perfection. Therefore, we are that. And the truth will literally set you free from all of that. So when you when you step into this love and, and realizing that pure empathy judges nothing, it simply embraces and says, wow, yeah. what did you learn? You know, what did you learn, brother, in that experience? Uh, there's there's a lot of joy in that whole precept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the judgment part. Um, I'm curious to get more of your thoughts on this too, Doctor Jeff. You know, the judgment part. A lot of time, what I see in that is when a judgment call has to be made, like you said, it's done in truth, right? So. Well, I, I had an interesting experience earlier this year. Um, I was contemplating this God that some people tell us is intolerant of sin. And I was contemplating in the context of my own divine nature. And uh, as I'm pondering these two concepts simultaneously, uh, that voice that speaks to one's heart came into my mind and said, the God that is intolerant of sin is you. 
and it gave me a little bit of a different perspective about judgment and how we impose upon God our own biases and our own judgments and assume that he's the way we conceive him to be rather than the way that he declares himself to be in sacred writ. And so I'm much more inclined to lean toward the uh, notion that God is love. I'm not saying we can't do wrong things or that we can't make mistakes, but I, since I had grandchildren, it greatly changed my perspective on the compassion and the tolerance and the love with which God views his children. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between, you know, you are wrong and you did wrong, right? So, Yeah, big difference. Awesome. awesome I, I love that, Dr. Jeff. And, and, you know, as you well know, part of my near-death experience, um, part of the near-death experience I had was being in the arms of God. And I was seeing my life. And I was judging everything. I was like, oh, no, no, wait, that was a mistake. Oh, no, that was wrong, and I did it anyway. Oh, I, you know. And it was interesting because in that moment, the communication which, which just flowed through me is I was judging my life. The love of the Father said, that's your judgment of it, not mine. We, 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 we love you. Yeah. God has the numbers, right? Yeah. In fact, it even, it even caused me to contemplate that verse that says, God judges no man but leaves all judgment to the Son. I thought, is that me? <laughs> Does he leave all the judgment to me and simply honors my choice and honors my judgment even though it's not his? And that could, uh, there could be some people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think two of them, um, you know, the, no unclean thing can dwell with God. Well, wait a minute. We're still in probation here. No one thing can, but you know, we, we yes, we, st- we time is running out, but we still do, still do have some time, as relative as that is in the eternal res- perspective, right? We still have time to become clean, and God knows that, and He sees that, and He sees what's possible, right? Um, kind of like what, what both, kind of going off what both you guys were saying here is that, in my mind, it's like He knows what's possible, and therefore. Okay, well, I know it needs to happen to make this better. Let's just give you these choices differently now, and see if see if you'll change. Let's just see, wait and see, right? And, and he patiently waits, and when we choose, then he can act differently and, and adjust according to how we do or don't respond to him. Yeah, yeah, I I would uh, comment on that about uh, um, God not being able to tolerate sin. Uh, from an LDS perspective, since your your podcast is specifically directed to an LDS audience, let me comment from an LDS perspective. A lot of people don't realize this because it's not a part of LDS scripture. But in the first earliest handwritten account of the first vision, the 1832 account that was in Joseph Smith's own handwriting, you know what the first thing God said to Joseph Smith in the sacred grove was? Joseph, my son, Thy sins are forgiven thee. That was the first thing that this divine being said to this boy of 14 years old. Wow. He made him free from sin. He sanctified him in that instant with his statement. And Joseph was free from sin and therefore able to be in the presence of God. Fast forward several years, go to 1836, and I should say that this happened several times in the intervening years, but I'll highlight these two, one in 1820 and one in 1836. uh, They've dedicated the uh, Kirtland Temple, and they're meeting in the Kirtland Temple in April 
1836. It's actually on Passover, as I recall. And uh, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery lower the veils in the temple, and they approach God in prayer, and the Lord appears to them, and the first thing he says to them is, your sins are forgiven you. And there again, he sanctified them, and they were able to be in the presence of the divine, and then came along uh, Moses and Elias and Elijah and restored sacred keys. And we forget sometimes that God is able to instantaneously and completely without reservation sanctify us in an instant simply by being in our presence and telling us so. At will, yeah. I mean, because what, what's the scripture? I, I will forgive whom I will forgive, right? He can, Because right. he can. Yeah. Right. As he said in one section of the Doctrine and Covenants, I can make you holy. Yes, and, 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 and even even if you get into New Testament stuff, I mean, it's many times our judgments of what is clean or unclean. For instance, in the culture there, the, the, the Gentiles were unclean. They were not a covenant people. They were not the chosen ones. And yet in Peter's revelation, when the Lord says, how dare you call unclean what I've called clean? <laughs> it's like, we're going to have things change here, guys. Your culture's a little bit off. Let's, let's make a few changes. It's like President Nelson's doing, right? <laughs> Yeah, like, and yeah, this, you're not used to this, right? But we're going to do it anyways. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's interesting the judgments and comparisons that we draw when in, in the mere twinkling of an eye, it can be changed. Yeah. Well, I, I think, too, when you, the first time you, uh, you guys were mentioning the whole, what's the first thing he says? Uh, Dr. Jeff mentioned your sins are forgiven you, right? I, I imagine that is kind of one of the requisite, first requisite pieces of the process of those epiphanies is in order to be in the Lord's presence like that, you need to be clean. So God is, okay, well, let's do get this out of the way first because that's the most important. Okay, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, now we can continue because you're forgiven, you're clean in my sight. Let's Now we can move on, right? That's kind of what I picture. Yeah, I think, I, I think there's some truth to that. I think that some experiences are so sacred that uh, it's necessary for us to be sanctified to have them. Yeah. And one of those experiences is coming into the presence of a member of the Godhead. And in my opinion, that's one of the reasons that baptism precedes the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because you're coming into the presence of a member of the Godhead. And uh, being baptized uh, and sanctified, you're worthy uh, of that experience, if, if you want to describe yeah, it that yeah. way. And so the, the, when, they, you know, when the, the command comes during that ordinance, receive the Holy Ghost, when that command is there, you know, it's, it's like... That's not something that they can say and not happen because you're in a place now where, you know, you can accept that command and invite him into your heart. So, But what, but what people forget often, I think, they either forget it or they don't quite believe it. And an LDS uh, uh, perspective is you can have that sanctification every week when you partake of the sacrament. You can be as clean as any prophet or saint described in Scripture every single time you partake of the sacrament. Yep, yep, exactly. But you know, that's that's one of the reasons I think too. Just now, of um, when the Savior said, you know, make sure that people are not partaking of it unworthily, because you know it's kind of a safeguard in my mind. When you do that very thing you just mentioned happens, right? When you are partaking of it worthily. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I, uh, 
I, I even love when the Savior healed. How often would he say, thy sins are forgiven you? Pick up your bed and walk. I mean, it was the sanctification that then manifested the, uh, the, the healing. And, and yet many equate that to, oh, well, they must have sinned. Otherwise, they wouldn't be crippled. No, it was actually a reminder and a remembrance that uh, you are divine. You yeah. are holy. Totally. And, you know, and, and the, embrace it and do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the freedom, I, I, as you guys are kind of going over these points here, the first thing I think of with freedom, too, is relating it to that, is that, you know, what, what is it? The truth that sets you free. This has been a recurring theme in a lot of episodes here. And once you have a clear picture of what those truths really are in regards to, you know, uh, what, how the Lord views our mortal condition and our capabilities, if we side with Him, right? As opposed to, to mankind's, oh, you have to get stuff and you have to be somebody in everybody else's eyes. And, you know, like the, the opposite of what you were saying, uh, Jeff, you have to, you know, make sure you're, you know, this, this kind of person compared to everybody else. And it's like, no, 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 no. The freedom is understanding um, just what, how, how Heavenly Father sees our period of probation, how He sees us. In his respect, and oh, wait a minute, time is temporary. Um, you know, you, you, you look at yourself the way I see you, you become free to realize, oh, this is what I can become. Wait a minute, then, like, there's no limit to the holiness, right? I, I, I always like telling people, right. you know, don't ask how good you have to be, ask how good you can be, and don't put limits on holiness for yourself. Yeah, and, and I would actually even rearrange the word slightly. It's not about how good we can become. It's about realizing how good we already are. That too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Someone, someone once once asked me. They said, "What's most perfect, a sapling or a mighty redwood?" <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. They're both perfect. They're both perfect in their exact state of their being, and and I think in many ways, from a higher perspective, uh, the entire universe looks at us in that way. They're perfect. Exactly how they're being, which is why, which is why the Lord said, "Be perfect." He didn't say become it. He didn't say try to obtain it. He yeah. simply said, "Be it. Embrace it. Yeah. Embrace the perfection." Yeah. You Basically, are saying, "Please be who I already see you as." Yes, that's right. Yeah, holding us in our magnificence, not in our brokenness or in our sinful state, but as yeah. Yeah. divine manifestations. Yeah. Live to that standard. Yes. Yeah, and and with your theme of being free I'll share with you an experience I had just a couple of months ago that was incredibly freeing for me and uh, I I think I've shared this with Jeff but I'll share it with the rest of your listeners I was praying one morning and spirit spoke to me and said I was thinking about my own shortcomings my weaknesses the things I've been struggling with for decades and spirit spoke to me and said you're not here to overcome weakness you're here to love yourself as you are and I thought, wait a minute, that contradicts everything I've believed for decades. I must be, re- I think I'm listening to the wrong voice. And it set me on a path of pondering and studying and asking a question. And I went back to one of the verses of scripture that I've had a love-hate relationship with for decades because I feel like I'm still struggling 40 years later with the things that I struggled with as a missionary. And this this verse of scripture promises that our weaknesses will become strengths, and I feel like I haven't had that. And so it frustrates me. And I went back to Ether 12.27 where it talks about, if men come unto me, I'll show unto them their weakness. And then he says, I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And as I'm reading this for the umpteen thousandth time, 
I stopped on that sentence and I studied it and it just struck me. God says, I give unto men weakness. Weakness is a divine gift. Weakness is not to be disparaged or looked down upon or to be corrected or to be thought of as being less than. It's part of our mortal experience. Because our of what God can do with it. Yeah. divine. And then if you read the rest of the verse, it says he gave it to us to help us to be humble so that we might acknowledge that the grace is sufficient and so that we can exercise faith. And then look what he says. He says, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. And again, I stopped and I just, I was stunned by it when I realized that it's not my job to overcome weakness. God says he'll do it. I'll make weak things become strong, he says, when they've served their purpose. It's not my job to overcome weakness. And so I thought about what I'd been told that morning about you're not here to overcome weakness, you're here to love yourself as you are. And I thought about the commandment that we should love ourselves. And generally, when we think about following commandments, we think we should start doing it right away, immediately, not next week or a year from now. The only way I can honor that commandment to love myself today is to love myself as I am. Mm -hmm. And so what I thought was so contrary to what I believed and been taught all my life, when I went back and studied the scriptures and looked at it, it was perfectly true. I'm not here to overcome weakness. That's God's job. And I'm here to love myself as I am. And saying that's not an excuse for being mediocre. It's following the commandment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it was, as you're saying that, one of the first things that comes to my head is, um, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why, we're commanded to partner with Christ in everything because exactly what you're saying there, you know, Christ is the one who overcomes weakness. We partner with him and then those weaknesses are overcome by his power, right? We may physically, you know, and mentally carry out different thought processes and actions ourselves, but who's giving us the power to do that? It's Christ. Right. So. Right. And my job is to live in my weakness, not to fight against it. To, to just let it be, or accept it as a divine gift, to exercise faith, to acknowledge grace, and to uh, be humble, yeah. and let God take care of it. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I, as, I've, as I've really studied the Master, and what he taught, and what his life's mission was about, so often it, it feels to me that he was holding up a mirror. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't here um, thumbing his nose, saying, I'm Dad's favorite. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and you'll never make it. But, but even in his, even in his, 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 come, follow me, do the things I do. You know, walk on the water, Peter. Why do you doubt? I mean, he was always lifting, lifting in the magnificence of saying, I'm not going to solve it for you. I'm walking on the water, simply showing you that you can do it too. Um, I, I, you know, and, and that, that's the beauty is that, is that he empowers us rather than, rather than rescuing. He says, you do it. Greater things will you do than the things you've seen me do. If you just believe it was always an encouragement to step up, to embrace our divinity mm. and to, to walk in a way of, of majesty rather than shrinking, shying and, and being, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and being I, I'm actually curious to hear you guys thoughts on this too. Um, Dr. Jeffrey, you're mentioning the whole, you know, not fighting against certain things. I, it reminds me of a, a video I saw about uh, addiction recovery, and and um, like there was, you know, a, you, maybe you guys have seen it. There's a, a man and his wife who's talking about, you know, pornography addiction, and and uh, she was saying after a while, you know, I realized I have to realize after the longest time that, you know, wait a minute, 
my husband is not the enemy here. The addiction is the enemy, right? It's, it's the, the influence of the adversary. That's the enemy, not the person, right? Yeah, so. yeah, very much so. And if I can give you one example uh, that kind of put, put it in perspective for me, I have a friend, his name's Chad Hymas. And Chad grew up in the West Desert of Utah. His dream was to have a ranch someday. And when he was about tw- in his early 20s, he was married. He had a couple of kids, one or two kids, I think. Uh, he had a malfunction of his tractor, and a one-ton bale of hay fell on him and paralyzed him from the neck down. Uh, he had, from my medical perspective now, mind you, I'm looking at it from a medical perspective, he had a physical weakness. He could not overcome it. It was not possible for him to make it a strength. He could have spent the rest of his life resenting it, fighting against it, uh, futile uh, uh, destruction of his life. But that's not what he did. What he did instead was he lived in his weakness. He accepted his physical weakness, and he went forward anyway. Uh, Wall Street Journal has now named him one of the ten most influential speakers in the world. He travels all over the world speaking and inspiring people. He now has a ranch larger than anything he ever imagined uh, as a child. And people fly in from around the country to meet with him uh, for his uh, counseling. So he... He didn't fight his physical weakness. That would have been a futile battle. He lived in his weakness, and he grew from it, and he went forward and had more than he ever imagined as a consequence. And we need to do that with our spiritual weakness, recognizing from whence it comes and uh, the value that it brings to us. And then those weaknesses are overcome by Christ as we partner with him. Right. When the time is right. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, any other thoughts about uh, that relating to freedom before we uh, head to our next question? No, we're ready to move on, but mortality is a gift. I'll tell you that. It, it may have challenges, and uh, I, I've often uh, embraced the notion that we're here experiencing what we're not, that we can somehow truly embrace what we are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there must needs be opposition. Without the opposition, mm-hmm. we wouldn't grow. I love it when Jeff talks about mortality as a gift because I feel exactly the same way. We live in a culture and in a world that constantly is denigrating mortality. They're saying that the morta- mort- being mortal is less. Being mortal is somehow bad and inadequate, that it limits us. That we spend all this time talking about our limitations, and we fail to remember that mortality is a gift. We counseled with our God in heaven before we came here. We said, yes, we want to go. And, and he or she or both said, you know, it's going to be really hard. And we said, yeah, we want to go anyway. And We came here, and this is part of a divine plan, and being mortal does not make us less divine. Yep, yep. Well, that's that's what I was actually getting to there, actually, a second ago, was with, you know, the whole whole divine thing there. Um, With with that quote I mentioned from Fighting the New Drug, it's like the second we're able to, like, see things as Heavenly Father sees them, see ourselves as as He sees us, then we, are be, then we are motivated to do things that will one day render us strong as opposed to having those weaknesses, right? We will, we will be as Savior commanded us to be. I, I agree. 
And we have to be careful about how we interpret that verse of Scripture that says the natural man is an enemy to God. However we interpret that Scripture, we have to be careful that we don't equate the natural man with the mortal man. Yeah. Because the mortal man is not an enemy to God. Yeah, yeah. The natural man Mortality is, is a divine gift. Yeah, the natural man isn't our real identity. It's just a part of the physical existence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I saw a funny comic the other day. It was it was interesting. It was a guy at the big pearly gates, and there was God ready to receive him, and uh, and God said, "Welcome back. How was heaven?" <laughs> and you know, I mean, I, you know, I, it's, a, it's a silly comic, but I think sometimes we do. Gosh, you know, this this life is such a gift. It was a choice. It was it was honored. And we're here. I, I often think of the way Paul put it, and I think Paul had some deep, insightful things happen to him. But when he said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And, and I think even these last two verses in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, for now we see through a glass darkly. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't fully get it. But then face to face, now maybe I have a cheat sheet because I literally got to peek in to those other realms and have had experiences that I would term as face to face. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, I know in part, but then shall I know as I am known. And when you know as you're known, when you see how God sees things, when you see yourself through the eyes of that divine creator. Like, who, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and once again, he says, abide faith, hope, and charity. But of these three, the greatest is charity, which is love. And that personal love, that self-love that Dr. O'Driscoll pointed out. I mean, the, it, it's funny. Scriptures are replete with this message. And yet we want to, we want to constrain it. We, Culturally, we're never going to make it. We're unworthy. We can't measure up. Somebody's got to save us. Yet every every ordinance, if if we're talking about the LDS faith, every ordinance says you're worthy. You're worthy. Whether that's a baptism or a sacrament or a washing and anointing or an endowment, it's all saying you are divine. You are of great worth. Nothing can change that. And And then uh, then the priest of authority can come in and say, and. Um, you know, if you're living in a way that renders you unable to receive it, you can get there. Yeah, you are of worth. It's just, it's, it's just embracing it. And uh, yeah, I'd like to add. To, I'd like to chime in with that, uh, Jeff. As a matter of fact, because uh, when we stop and back up and think about it for a minute, every soul is of infinite worth. And their worth does not change based on their actions. We get this misconception in our mind that somehow our actions determine our worth or our worthiness, and that's not so. Uh, Our actions may estrange us from God, but that's just a consequence of us making choices. And if we want to make different choices, we'll be closer to God again. But it has nothing to do with our worth. Our worth does not change. It's eternal and infinite and unchanging. Yeah, what's that talk, uh, I forget which sister it was in conference, who said, don't uh, something about no not confusing, um, you know w- w- when you're when you're uh, how did you say it being less worthy doesn't mean you, it doesn't make you worth less. That's right. 
true. You can't, you can't change the worth. You can't change your worth. I, I saw a great demonstration. Someone held up a crisp $20 bill and said, who would like this? I'll give it to you. Yeah. I'll give it to you. Who would like that. this? Oh, everybody wanted it. Then they crinkled it up. They stomped on it. They wrinkled it. They ripped the edges. And then they said, who wants the $20 bill? Still, every hand went up. I want the 20 <laughs> It did not change the worth. The worth of that, of that, uh, the worth of our soul can never be changed. And it doesn't matter what you do, what you don't do. There is nothing that you can ever do yeah. or that can be done to you, yeah. which will ever change the fact that you are a divine, beloved child yeah. of, of heavenly parents. Exactly, yeah. Not, not being worthy of being able to exercise priesthood, for example, does not mean that Heavenly Father sees you as less of a person, less of a uh, child of God, right? It's like, he, oh, I right. want those blessings for you. And maybe you're not worthy for this or that thing, but you're always worthy of his love. Yeah, and I, I frankly uh, don't even often use the word worthy because I think it carries such negative connotations. What I like to talk with people about, or the way I describe it to somebody, is I say, are you ready? There is you this go. A good time? Is this a good time for you to go to the temple? Is this uh, is making these covenants, and we should explain all of the covenants. Nobody should ever be surprised by what the covenants are when they go to the temple. They should know them well in advance. I ask them, are you ready to go? Is it a good thing in your life at this time? Here are the covenants that you'll be making. Will these covenants move you closer to God, or will they be an obstacle and a barrier for you? It's not about your worth. It's not about whether you're worthy. It's about, is this the right time, and is it the right thing yeah, for you yeah. in your life to move you closer yeah. to God? Are you, gonna, are you in a position where you know, making this covenant isn't actually going to make it worse because you're not going to keep it? Yeah. yeah. So awesome. awesome! I know that's stuff. a radical notion, but that's that's the way I think about it. Well, that's a, I think because, it's also a helpful way to think about it too. So, well, for the last question I have for you know, both of you, I mean, as for our listeners, as we know, you know, the devil is, I mean, as discussed already, he's hard at work at discouraging and attacking God's children, and one of his best tools is trying to convince us that mortality is merely something hard to be endured, and it's nothing more than just living in this quote-unquote prison we call a body, right? Um, in contrast for both of you, um, I want to hear ways that you have both seen, like specific experiences, if you could, maybe from your collaborative work together or something like that, that mortality can actually be quite a freeing experience, you know, when our perspective and efforts are properly aligned with the Lord. And just before I, I, I let you get into that, too, there's interesting timing that with that wording, too. Um, there's a member of the 70 here, actually today for our state conference, and last night, during the adult session, he actually went on for a little bit about aligning ourselves and our wills with the Lord, and that mortality becomes even more, he didn't use this wording, but even more of a freeing experience once you know, we are able to, do, to make that alignment. So. Yeah, I, I love this notion, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak up first. I know the doc will chime in. <clears throat> Gosh, life is not to be endured. It's to be embraced and to be in this mortality. I mean, stand out and let the sunshine, you know, have you ever just been out there and the sunshine hits you on the face or the breeze just blows through your hair or you, you eat an orange, you know? <laughs> and if you ate that with, with meaning and presence and saying, wow, look, look at this gift, look at the, the senses of sight, touch, taste, smell, all of these beautiful, beautiful things in this mortality, and um, and 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 really embracing it as a gift without fear, 
and without and without the the barrier that you're in a lower state or you're in a bad state or you're something uh, you know that that is less than divine. I believe mortality is divine. Yeah. I mean, even even in sacred um, things, it's what it's what makes us like God. Now we know. We know what we know because we've experienced it. What a gift. And it's not something to be endured, but to be embraced and enjoyed, to literally be enjoyed. Yeah. Have you guys ever uh, seen the Book of Awesome? I, I have not, no. You guys got to check that one out. The Book of Awesome, it's, it goes right along with what you were saying there because every page, is, it's just these little like, you know, little things to be grateful for kind of book. But it, like, for example, it'll, it'll tell you a few things like, you know, you know those moments when you're at a stoplight and you're counting down and the second you hit zero, it turns green. Awesome. Yeah. Like, or yeah. like, you know, when you pull, pull fresh socks out of the dryer and they smell really nice and, and they're warm against your face and they're like, awesome. Just little things, right? So, it is. It, it's awesome. And the little things are the big things. When we can embrace life that way instead of being endured, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, if we could really, I mean, gosh, it's the simplest things. It really is the rain on your face, the way, you know, holding your partner's hand or feeling their feet rub against your legs in the morning. I mean, it's in the little teeny things, playing catch with your son. Those are the things that make a difference. And if we can savor that and relish it and embrace the divinity of, hey, gosh, we're here. Milk it. We've been entrusted. And, 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 and wow, even, even the, the sunlight on my hair is going to be a blessing and a, and a blessed experience if I'm open to receive it. We talked about that. You know, so often we think we're giving gifts. Well, we're going to give you the Holy Ghost. No. You're simply called by name, and you are asked to receive it. Yeah, it's a command. Yeah, it's the same as, you know, receive joy. Receive the blessings that come from God. Receive the gift that this mortality Mm -hmm. is. And if you receive it with an open heart, I I read a verse today that said something to the effect of, he who accepts all things in thankfulness will be made glorious. That's one of my absolute... Favorites, I love that. Yes, glorious. Yeah, glorious. Full of glory. Full of light. Simply because of gratitude. Wow. Thank you. If that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't know what I know. If I had not experienced that challenge, I would have no way of knowing how powerful and strong my heart is. Had that not happened, I wouldn't be where I am right now. What a gift! It, 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 you simply just praise and say thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a great uh, uh, question you ask, and, and, and the value of cherishing our life, uh, the importance of enjoying what we're doing, of having a sense of humor, of knowing that we're here to uh, experience wonderful things, not just solemn and sad and difficult things. And, and part, of, part of the perspective of, of embracing that is realizing who we are, realizing that we're divine beings. And And when we talked a few minutes ago about a veil, uh, it's important for us to remember that the veil is, in fact, our body. And you can go to a lot of sources that talk about that, but for an LDS perspective, uh, the sources are pretty explicit. I mean, Brigham Young said, God has uh, caused us to forget everything we once knew before our spirits entered within this veil of flesh. Wilfred Woodruff said, our body is, our, excuse me, he said, our veil is our body. Um, Orson Hyde said that our sensibilities are benumbed by this veil of flesh, which is around us. 
Will, w- William W. Phelps actually wrote it into a hymn in O God Eternal Father. He talks about Christ being veiled in flesh to walk upon the footstool. And all of that uh, goes along with what Paul said in Hebrews 10, chapter 20, when he talked about Christ entering into the Holy of Holies, and not the Holy of Holies of ancient Israel, but uh, what that represented, the great Holy of Holies. And he did so by passing through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Uh, when we remember that the veil is our own our own flesh that we're clothed in, that we're wrapped in uh, to pass through this life, it helps us to remember the divine nature that we are and the importance of living and enjoying and embracing even the difficult things and receiving them as Jeff, as you both mentioned, uh, with gratitude of being grateful for the most difficult things sometimes because the commandment is for us to thank the Lord in all things, not just in the easy things. Well, you, We're supposed to be grateful for everything. You guys would both really love, uh, I think it's episode 19. I might be off a bit on the number there. I hope it's 19. Um, with Kevin Clayson, who wrote uh, Flip the Gratitude Switch, I think the book's called, or something like that. You guys would love that one. <laughs> but um, something else that you said made me think, too, of um, those references to you know the mortal flesh being the veil. And, you know, the... The, the freedom thing I think of with that too is is that when we like I was mentioning alignment earlier right with with Christ and it's the idea of the freedom we find when we align with Christ that flesh becomes transformed so it you know in the resurrection you know in finality it's no longer a veil for us it is no longer something that dulls our senses it's transformed as we align with Christ and become right. who he already right. sees we can be exactly Yes, that's what Paul was talking about when he talked about the great visions he had. And he said, whether in the body or out, I don't know. He wasn't quite sure whether he was, because he was piercing through the veil. He was in and out of his body, if you yeah, will. What did Joseph Smith say? Like, he's like, you know, we, in Doctrine and Covenants, I forget which section it is, where he says, you know, we, we have to be temporarily transfigured. Well, that's a, a temporary change of the flesh itself, which will be exactly. permanent when the resurrection happens. That's right. right. Yeah, I love that. If, if the body were bad, and if mortality were bad, and if being in the body was a lesser than, then why in the world would we ever look forward to a resurrection <laughs> where the body and the spirit will be reunited? I mean, it, it, this, is all, this is all a beautiful experience, and it's part of our perfect path to progression. And, 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 and to piggyback on that, too, Jeff, what, it, it's really important when we view our body to remember that Moses brought the children of Israel to the door of the tabernacle. And he washed them, and he anointed them, and he clothed them in sacred vestments, and he sanctified them, and then they could enter the temple. That was the process by which we enter a temple, and it's still the process by which one enters a temple. And what people forget is that what happens at birth is we're entering a temple. We're entering this temple. This is the temple. Uh, and, And birth is part of that washing and that anointing and that being clothed. What we're being clothed with is mortality. And when we look around and we ask ourselves, who are the Lord's anointed? We should realize every soul on earth is the Lord's anointed because every one of them were born. Every one of them entered this temple of the flesh and the process of entering the temple included an anointing. And then it's their choice to determine whether or not they stay like that. Yeah, I love that, Doc. In fact, that was part of my out-of-body experience. And I'll just, I mean, you've done that so eloquently, but I literally experienced that as I stood outside of my body, knowing I was going to get back in. 
I was told the body is the temple. Even what you do symbolically of entering a temple and receiving an endowment is symbolic of you entering your body to receive the gift of mortality, which will teach you everything you need to know to get back. And, and it was interesting as I, as I was getting ready to get in the body, and, and Doc, I love the way you articulate this, as I was looking at my body, preparing to get back into the body, I remembered being born. And I was told, it was like that. there was this tutorial of the Lord behind me telling me that my body was the temple, that I was entering a temple. And as I remembered being born, I was told, you were washed with water in the breaking of your mother's water. You were anointed with blood by the birth process. You were given a new name. I was told all these things. And just as the doc pointed out, as I was entering the body, I was asked, then who is the Lord's anointed? And I knew with all my heart, it was everyone who had ever been born. That was the process. Everything that I had done in my sacred ceremonies was symbolic of that very process that happens in reality. And quite honestly, every ordinance we do, everything we do in ceremony and ordinance is symbolic of what we must do and, and what we are right. doing and what we already have done in our lives. Yeah. And, the, and the freedom you get from that is the Lord lives it completely up to us to determine, are you going to stay like that? I have put you on earth and made you free to do whatever you want with this body. It's up to you. He gives us the freedom. Now, you choose. Do you want to stay that way or not? I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. We sometimes fall into this uh, this accident, this, this, this problem, if you will, if we mistake the symbol for the substance. And we get so caught up in the symbols that we forget that they represent something and we don't go looking for the substance. And so this notion of being born, of being anointed, of entering our mortal body, of entering a tabernacle or a temple. You remember in section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, it says the elements are the tabernacle of God. Yea, man is a tabernacle of God, even temples. So what does that tell you about who dwells in your body? <laughs> we are all divine. We are gods. We became gods the moment we were born of godly parents before our mortal birth. We didn't have we don't have to grow into it. We don't have to accomplish some great thing. We don't have to be worthy to be gods because that was a divine gift given to us by our divine parents uh, even before we were born in mortality. And right. when we come to that realization then we start to behave in a better way. So I, I'm actually curious about that grow into it thing because I actually wrote a blog entry. I'm interested in your thoughts on this one. Um, it actually kind of uh, it disagrees with that a little bit. Maybe I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this one. I compared the exaltation to a big coat that the Lord, like, the Christ Atonement bought and paid for us. Free. He just gave it to us, right? And this coat is way too big for us um, when we're born. I mean, because we can scarcely blink our eyes or eat on our own, right? Um, and then as we continue, the, the article kind of talks about how as we continue along mortality and long life, um, if we partner with Christ, I kind of like what you mentioned with the weaknesses, right? We learn how to fit the coat better. And where it's almost like, uh, I think it was Dr. Jeff, you were saying, where is, is this right for us? Is the coat something we are, we are going to continue to be able to fit into well? And as we grow into that, like going into the, the gift of exaltation, he already gave that to us. It's a matter of, are we going to become the people um, who will fit that coat? I, I like that. I like that. I would add a contrary, because uh, 
I mean, the master said, become as a little child. In other words, revert back where you're totally trusting, where you're totally open, where you're totally non-judgmental about yourself and or others. But we do grow, and, and we grow by experience, or at least we remember. I, I, I often uh, wonder if there's anything to really learn, but if we're just remembering, literally putting back together all the pieces in a way that we we embrace the coat. We, we realize the coat has always fit. We just had to have the experience of it not fitting in order to appreciate and embrace when it is the perfect fit. Can, can I piggyback on that, Jeff? Yeah. You said it's about not so much what we know or what we learn, but what we remember. Um, I think it's very interesting that uh, it says in Acts 10 that when Christ was baptized, God anointed him with the Holy Ghost. That was an anointing. And John, in the small books of John at the end of the, of the New Testament, tells us all that we have an anointing. He says, you have an anointing and you know all things, and you need not that any man teach you. Which gets at the whole role of the Holy Ghost, which is not only to teach us, but to bring all things to your remembrance. Uh, as it says. What, your, yeah, oh, that, I see. Like your spirit knows, but your mind doesn't kind of thing. Yeah. In fact, Brigham Young said, you don't learn anything new in this life. You only remember what you once knew. And and that's one of the roles. That That's an express assignment of a member of the Godhead is to help us remember the things that we so, once knew. Yeah, so maybe maybe the analogy with that code thing, I think might even be better put if you relate it to the physical body. Um, from what you guys are saying, it sounds like I, I'm, it might put that as um, our spirits already fit the code. Our mortal bodies just got to catch up a little bit, you know. Let me let yeah, me that's put it this way: our mortal body is the coat. By stepping into the mortal body, by by entering the holy temple and being clothed in glory, I have put on my coat. And and this is why the Master would say, "I am that I am. I am a manifestation of that." I, I why why do you ask such silly questions? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Gosh, I've been hanging out with you guys all this time. Don't you know? <laughs> This is the truth. Yeah. This will well, set you free. Yeah. The, uh, what I'm the blog uh, entry I'm talking about was uh, the, the, the analogy was a little bit different from the body thing. There. The analogy in that blog entry was the code of exaltation. So, yeah, both both can serve as the same kind of purpose, though. I see what you're getting at, but awesome. Well, maybe this is, well maybe even this when is you're talking about <laughs> even when you're talking exaltation. Yeah, e- even when you're talking about exaltation, I, I know this is a little bit. Uh, 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 existential to say this, but we've, we've acknowledged that time is a mortal construct. And to think of exaltation as something in the future works for us in some ways in mortality, but it might be a disservice to understanding what's actually happened. You know, when you hear people say, the time's going to come when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Sometimes they say it with a little bit of pride and arrogance about, I told you so, you're gonna, I'm going to prove it to you. In the future, you're going to have to confess I was right. And what people forget is that every soul who's born on this earth already did that. That was a prerequisite for coming. They made a covenant of obedience and sacrifice before they ever entered the lone and dreary world. They acknowledged Christ. They bowed the knee and confessed who he was and accepted the plan and embraced it before they were born. So just need to be reminded. And sometimes we forget that. Yep, got to be reminded. Well, yep. at, the, at the tender age of eight, 
I didn't understand what was going on, but I had the opportunity to literally take upon myself that name, to literally claim my own divinity and say, I know where I come from, I know who I am, and I know who I belong to. And yet we, you know, we think Christ is a last name. It's not. It's a title. It's, it, it means the anointed one. And if, uh, gosh, if you're anointed at birth, it's an interesting thing to begin to embrace who we really are and step into the magnificence yeah. of what we're here to do. And, and if we did, if we really did that, the earth would be renewed. Yeah. We, would, we would embrace celestial glory right here. There would be heaven on earth. When the master said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we embraced our own divinity and we lived in that magnitude of love and unconditional love, that's the key. Yep. Well, it, it's, it's in our hands. It's in our hands. That, yeah, that's why no man knows the hour or the day because they're just waiting. They're just up there thinking, I know they'll figure it out. They're smart. They're get it. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of the, 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 when you're talking about, you know, the possibility of having that, you know, heaven um, from moment to moment. It makes me think of uh, what's the wording that uh, the Book of Mormon uses about Moroni. If all men had been like him, the very powers of hell would be shaken forever, right? Same type of thing. If we all realized who we can be, the very powers of hell would be shaken forever, right? If we realized who we are. That's yes, yeah. yes. I, if we realized who we are. I just had a conversation with a group last night. We were talking about Peter stepping out of the boat and why he sank and we don't have time to go into all the conversation that we had and the things that were that were discussed but I, I thought it was interesting that one of the people said that they thought what led to Peter sinking was not his doubt of whether he could do it but his realization that he could and the question of how big he was and the light that he had and who his divine nature really was and maybe that was a little bit overwhelming for him as he was walking on the water uh, we're reluctant to step into our divine nature and own it but yeah. we need to it was, it was, a, it was something I wrote in a blog recently and um, the quote was the that I forget who the author was I wish I could remember it where she says our greatest fear isn't that we are weak it's that we are powerful beyond measure that's Marianne Williamson. Yes, thank you. That's who it was, yeah. Awesome. She's a friend of mine. She's running, she's running for president on the Democratic ticket, believe it or not, but she's a very enlightened soul. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both for being on tonight. Appreciate all your insights and uh, just, yeah, people just need to realize, you know, there's divinity in us. You just got to unlock it by partnering with Christ. That's all there is to it. And then once you're ready, like I like that word ready, you know, once you're ready, those ordinances can come. You can keep those promises, and you're you're on you know set to have everything that God wants you to have. So, yep, fear not, fear not, but be believing. It's awesome. said over and over and over again. Be believing. Yep. Okay, so thanks for listening, everyone. Today, in the next episode, we have uh, Carrie Skirdla coming on to talk about journaling, which is going to be super cool. Carrie has a PhD in psychology, certified in neuroscience, and also certified oncologist, was on a TEDx talk in uh, May of this year. She is the founder of Lifeback LLC. Professionally, she has been considered an authority in develop, uh, training and development, and uh, her uh, Arizona-based operation is designed to assist others in obtaining happiness and freedom by living a life created from their values and principles. Um, so tune into that one. It's going to be super awesome. If you have any questions about this episode or if you know someone who wants to participate, 
please send me an email at thepulsifier at gmail.com. That's in the description. And go give that follow link a click on paulpulsifer.podomatic.com and spread the light you may have found here to other people. And lastly, written reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook are super awesome and wonderful. That'd be much appreciated. But uh, have a great day, everyone. And remember to stand steadfastly in the freedom God gave us. Until next time, this is Paul Pulsifer.